Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We don't want to owe anyone anything, do we? Don't want to owe somebody. It's okay if somebody owes you, but we don't want to owe somebody. You ever had somebody take you out to dinner? Pay for your dinner? No, 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 let me get that. No, I'll get that. You ever fought for a check with somebody? See, one of the things that I fight with, and I shouldn't do this because now every time we go out, you'll make me pay, but one of the things that, that I fight with is because I'm a pastor, people think that I, whenever we go out to dinner that I should not pay. So I'm constantly saying, hey, can I get that? No, no, you can't get it. Please let me get it. No. And, you know, what, one of the things I've heard is, you know, I may need you to buy my lunch one day, and when I do, then you can buy my lunch. I'm, and I, you know, so What do you say to that? But have you ever wrangled with somebody over the bill? Like, let me get that. No. And what do we do? We don't stop there. We, 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 you know, we, we think to ourselves, well, I've got to do something. At least let me get the tip. Have you ever said that? At least let me get the tip. Because in our mind, we don't want to be given something. We, we don't like to be in someone's debt. We don't like for there to be an unbalance. What's the worst thing that can happen to you at Christmas time? One of the things is you can go to a gathering of a group of people, and, and maybe you're a guest or maybe you're not a normal, not a regular, and there are gifts being handed out. And what do you know? Somebody has a gift for you. Not just some gift that they had extra under the tree, like if somebody extra shows up, we'll give it. It's got your name on it. There's been some thought that's gone into it. They've, they've given you a gift. And you have not come prepared with a gift for them. Now we feel like a heel, right? Oh my goodness, that's one of the worst things that can happen. And what we would say is, you know, I've got your gift. I just, I'll wrap it as soon as I buy it and I'll give it to you. We lie. Oh, I forgot your gift. Why can't we just look at somebody and say, wow, you gave me a gift and I didn't give you anything. Happy, Merry Christmas to me. You know, Merry Christmas to me. I, I got a, a great gift. Why do we feel the need to even the score? Why can't we just owe somebody? But we want to do our part. Then we bring that kind of thinking into our relationship with God. And that's where things really, really get messed up. There's something in us that makes us want to do our part. There's something in us that makes us want to pay our way. We don't want to owe God. We would rather do a gift exchange with God, even though we know that's probably not going to work out real good for us either. We, 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 can't, we can't really win when it comes to this whole thing with God. If we, if we enter into a gift exchange, we know that's not going to end well because his gifts are so much better than our gifts, but at the same time, we, we don't want to come empty-handed. I mean, do we, do we get into this thing with him or not? I mean, what do we do? We really don't know how to approach God sometimes. That's why when you've had a really good week, I'm talking like from a behavioral standpoint, you know, you did good deeds, maybe you've used the Lord's name in a good way, not in a bad way that week. You know, maybe you, you, uh, you went to church, you strung together a couple of weeks in a row. And after you've done that, you think, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good with God, so I'm going to go have a conversation with God. Well, I'm going to pray. And you, boy, you come boldly, dear Heavenly Father, you know me. I'm ready to talk to you. 
But if we go through a week that hasn't been all that good, we got caught, or we cheated, or we, we did some things that you know we're embarrassed about, it affects our relationship with God. Suddenly, we're not as inclined to pray. We're not as inclined to want to spend time alone with God. It, the way we behave affects our relationship with God. We make an assumption that God views me and accepts me and participates with me based on how well I pay my way. And we look at paying our way in terms of how well we behave. Some people, and this may define you, you don't come to church all that much. And, and as I say that, please don't hear that as some kind of judgment for me. Okay, I'm not judging you. I'm just, it's just a reality. You don't go to church that much. And try, believe me, I understand. I, I've seen, I know what goes on in churches, and I know, I, you know, I've, I shouldn't say what I want to say right now. Filter, filter, filter. My mom tells me all the time, Brett, be careful. I've seen what churches can do to people. And I understand why, if you've had a negative experience in some churches, why you would never want to go to church again. I understand. So I'm not judging you for not wanting to go to church. But why is it that you don't want to go to church? It isn't that you don't believe in God. I doubt seriously it's that you you don't believe in God. It's probably something else. It's possible that you might think that if we knew what you had done recently, we wouldn't want to be around you. It's possible that if we knew what you did last week, that you think that if we knew what you did last week, or if we knew what you did last night, or if we knew what you did on the way, right? If we knew what you'd said in the unholy hour just before the holy hour, we wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. That's the way we think. We think, man, they don't want to have anything to do with me. If they knew me, they wouldn't want to be around me. There's a natural part of us that makes us think this way, and it would make perfect sense that God would treat us based on our consistency, based on our ability to live well, because that's kind of the world we live in. That's how we relate to one another. And it makes sense that we would look at God that way until you read the Christmas story, and then it changes. I mean, we all know the Christmas story. Many of us have been in the Christmas story. We talked about that last week, that, you know, we've played Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and one of the shepherds, or, you know, if you're not a great actor, they usually stick you in the back, make you one of the barnyard animals. But still, we got to be on the stage in the play, right? We know the story. We've just missed the message. And it's not a subtle message. That's the thing. It's a bold message, and it weaves its way all the way through the New Testament. Today, we're going to look at one word, and many times we read it, and then we kind of zoom right over it. We don't even pause. We just kind of blast right through it. But if we ever stop to ponder this one word, it it could be life-changing. Turn to Luke chapter 2. We were there last week. We'll be there next week. We're just looking at Luke chapter 2 in this series, Perfect Gift. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, this word defines our relationship with God. The tendency when we come to our relationship with God is to compare it to the other relationships that we have in our life, maybe to compare it with the one with our mom and dad or, or to compare it with our siblings. 
We're constantly trying to figure out how to relate to him, and, and that's why we drag our bag of goodies around with us, you know, this bag of stuff. You know, we're trying to show God, we're trying to impress God with how good we've been and all the good stuff we've done. God, look, see what I've done? And we set it down today, and it's one of two things. I mean, the bag's either got good stuff in it or bad stuff in it, usually both. And what we te- are tempted to do is drag in our bag and search through there and find the good stuff and hold it up and say, God, see what I did, what I did? Aren't you proud of me? We can talk now because I've done these good things. And, you know, if God were to say, well, what's that in the bag? Oh, don't worry about that. We would hang our head, right? We would hang our head about some of the stuff in the bag because it's not all good. And and so your approach to God is either I'm here and I've been pretty good or I'm here today and I haven't done well at all and I just need lots of mercy. And, I'll you know, God, I'll buy you a present later, but right now I just need from you. The reason we bring all that stuff is because every other relationship we have is like that. It, it, it's in somewhat some ways it's a it's a conditional most of our relationships kind of tend to be conditional even the ones that we have with our parents are that way right maybe you grew up thinking man my mom and dad don't really love me unless I make the a my mom and dad don't really love me unless I make the team they don't love me unless you know I mean we maybe you felt that way with not maybe with your parents but with somebody else they don't love me unless I'm doing this for them but the great news of Christmas is that this relationship with God is, is different than that. God decided to do, do something new altogether, and if we ever got it, it would change our relationship with God. And I'm telling you, it takes all the ought-tos out of religion. It takes all the have-tos out of religion. See, there are some people who don't want to go to church because of the have-tos and the ought-tos. And I'm telling you, if you ever really understand this story, those things get lifted out of it, and this whole thing takes on a whole new perspective. It takes a lot of guilt out of religion because it's a completely different kind of relationship. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. There's something about a God thing, right, that just petrifies us. There's just something about God when he starts doing stuff and it wigs us out a little bit, and we just kind of freak. It's scary to be around God. The angel shows up and says, do not be afraid. This is a good thing that's happening. It's it's good. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will will cause great joy for all the people. Last week we talked about that word all. If you don't have that circled in your Bible, you should have that word circled in your Bible. All. The fact that this news is for all the people meant that this news had nothing to do with what you or I have done. Because it's not good news for just good people, and it's not just good news for Jewish people, and it's not good news for righteous people. It's good news for everybody. Good news. In, in spite of what you've done, this is good news. I don't know what you've ever been told in any other church you've ever gone to, but hear me clearly. I'm giving you some of the best news you're ever going to get in your life. 
This news about Jesus coming for you, for all the people, that's great news because you, none of us deserve it. But it has nothing to do with how good you are. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David, a Savior, not a king, a Savior. Not a helper, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The word today that we're kind of focusing in on is Savior. When God looked down and saw us and saw our need, he said, you know what? You don't need a coach. You don't need a a silent partner. You don't need an accountant. He looked at us and he said, they don't need somebody to help them figure it out. They don't need somebody to tell them how to do good stuff so that they can have better relationships. It's worse than that. They need a Savior. God said, I'm making an announcement. It has nothing to do with trading or purchasing or buying or earning or performing. It's none of that. I'm sending a Savior. I'm sending someone to bail you out of the mess you're in. And we, all of us, left to our own devices, we're, we're a mess. And God said, what you do has nothing to do with it. I'm going to do the whole thing. That's why it's good news for everybody. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. If it ever sinks in, if we could ever begin to relate to Jesus as Savior, it would transform our perspective of God and our relationship with Jesus. It really would. Because see, mom and dad are wonderful people, but mom and dad are not Savior. I have a great relationship with my little brother. I love my little brother dearly. We, we, we're very close. Don't get to spend nearly enough time with him, but when we're together, it's just this wonderful, we're different as night and day, but, but um, I just love being around him. But he's not a savior. There is no parallel. See, we read the word savior, and we just, we, we kind of, we're tempted to go, savior, yeah. What else you got? I knew that already. I knew Jesus was my Savior. I mean, what else are you going to, Brett, you're going to talk about Savior today? I already knew that. Come on. Do something. Break a radio or something. Do something fun. Let's go. See, if you ever come to grips with the fact that we need saving, but for a lot of people, Savior is just a big yawn. It's, It's a nuisance to them. If there's ever been a time in my life or yours where we were gripped by the fact that, oh my goodness, I don't need help, I don't need a second chance. I need saving. I need to be delivered. I need to be rescued. Until you get there, the idea of a Savior is just a word. It's just, it's just a big yawn. It's boring. Who cares? Or worse than that, it's a nuisance. I want you to imagine with me a woman in a car, and the car has caught fire. And she does not realize it. But a a gentleman outside the car has realized that there's danger, that her car's on fire. He sees the smoke. He approaches her door. He tries to open the door to pull her out. She's got the door locked. She turns around. He's knocking on the door. She wigs out and moves away from the door and is afraid that he's trying to carjack the car or kidnap her or take her captive somehow. 
He's trying to save her. She puts the car in drive and tries to drive off, but the car is in such bad shape that the car doesn't go very far and eventually stops, and that's when she sees the smoke, and that's when she realizes there's a problem, because at that point she realizes, I need to be saved. Now as the gentleman tries to help her get out of the car, she's more than willing to let him do it because she realizes there's a problem. And she would say to you, I thought he was against me. He wasn't against me. He was for me. And if I was a southern evangelist right now, and truly every preacher really wishes deep down in his heart that he was a black southern Baptist preacher. That's really what we wish, just in case you're wondering. If you want to know what you can get me for Christmas, get me the voice of a black southern preacher. That's what I would love to have, right? Because they just do it better than everybody else. But if I was a black southern preacher and I was going to, not, not a black, a southern evangelist, you know, the guys that have traveled around, there's a stereotype that we have of them and the way they talk. And I were to say, by the time you smell smoke's fire, it's too late. God's been knocking on the door of your heart and you didn't answer and it's too late. You didn't repent. Now that's, funny to some other people hear that and go well we don't hear enough of that we should hear more of that here's why this is an important thing for me to say see for some of you your whole experience with God has revolved around this idea that Jesus wants to crash into your life and interfere with you He wants to hijack your life. You you have assumed that he wants to get into your life and ruin it in a really bad way and make a mess out of it. And you deal with this all the time. Maybe it's your wife who constantly strategically leaves CDs in your CD player so when you turn the car on you hear a certain thing at a certain time and she thinks, ooh, that'll get him. Or you've got a cousin that just invites you to church constantly and will not leave you alone and you're like, would you please... Stop inviting me to your church. Or you've got a a boss that has this ginormous, huge, black, leather-bound King James Bible on the corner of his desk to announce to the world that he's a Christian, and you better watch out around him, right? You ever been around somebody like that? Or you see those fish on cars everywhere, and it's like you think to yourself, man, I cannot get away from these people. I know we got a lot of Christians in the room, but there's probably a couple of people in the room that right now are really feeling what I'm saying because they're like, yeah, Brett, that's exactly how I feel. They will not leave me alone. We're relentless, aren't we? Christians can be so, it's just because we love you. It's, you know, it's just because, it's just because we care, but we can be a nuisance, can't we? We can, we can take it too far. We can just be a pain in the rear And you want to say, good grief, just leave me alone with the Jesus thing. I'm tired of it. I don't want to hear it. You see, when you don't think you need saving, when you don't think you need rescuing and delivering, the thought of a Savior is just a big yawn to you. There are some people in here this morning who would testify to this. They ran and ran and ran, and they said, leave me alone leave me alone, and then they came to a point where they realized, wow, I need a Savior. I'm a mess. 
And what seems so scary and stupid and culturally, cult, culturally irrelevant to us, suddenly it became a lifeline. But the reason that the Southern Evangelist thing is wrong is that they want to scare us into believing. And that's wrong because Jesus is a Savior, not a scarer. He's a Savior. God's approach to saving us can oftentimes reinforce the confusion that we have about him because, you see, he's never going to run up to the car door and grab you by the nape of the neck and pull you out of the smoking, on-fire car. He's not going to do that. His approach is to stand back on the sideline to wait for you to say, I need help. Save me. He's waiting until we say, I can't do it. You see, there comes a point where all the arguments, if you're someone that would describe yourself as, as maybe far from God or you're not a Christ follower, you don't, you don't go to church that much, you don't like going to church, I, I'm, I'm talking to you for a minute. There comes a point where your arguments, you know, and your arguments are what about the dinosaurs and evolution and why do bad things happen to good people? And why do babies die, right? Those are the arguments that people kind of tend to gravitate to. And when Christians start talking to them about going to church, those are the things that come up. Well, when you can explain the dinosaurs and when you can talk to me about evolution and you can explain to me why babies die, then I'll go to church with you. And, you know, Christians are there going, man, I'm, Brett, what do I do? See, that's all the stuff that gets used to keep Christianity at bay so that we don't have to think about it. I don't want to have to deal with it, and it keeps me from having to go to church. But suddenly, when we're moments away from death, and suddenly all the stuff I've clung to my whole life, none of that's working anymore. And I go to whatever's next, and I really have no idea what is next. And that's when I realize I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Whatever drives you there, and it doesn't really matter what it is, God doesn't care what it is, he'll be there. He says, I'll be there, I will save you. There are some verses in Romans that I want us to look at. There are some people who basically thought, since God's not messing with me, he doesn't care. Since he doesn't pull me out of the burning car, I can just go ahead and do whatever I want in my life. And Paul kind of sheds some new light on God and, and it kind of helps us to see him in a new perspective. Um, for some of you, this will be brand new stuff. He's talking to Christians, and, and you don't need to turn over, but it's in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'll put it on the wall for you. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? You know what that means? That means as long as, as you're running from God and see no need for a Savior, God's response is always going to be kindness, patience, and tolerance. That's the way he's going to respond to you. It says not realizing that God's kindness, God's kindness, not scare tactics, not threats, not nightmares and bad dreams. I, I don't have this slide. I, I realized just before the first service, I've left out a slide. I'm about to read a passage of Scripture to you that wraps this up. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. 
which means you change your mind about God because God has been patient with you. If you're wondering why God lets you get away with what he lets you get away with, it's because he's being patient with you. He's being kind. You ever, you ever been good to somebody thinking to, the, to yourself, you know, I'm going to be good to them, and in being good to them, they're going to understand that I'm not such a bad person. I'm going to be good to them, and, the, and my kindness to them is going to be a testament to the kind of person that I am. It's going to show my character. That's kind of what God's saying. I'm going to, I'm going to show kindness to them, and in my kindness, maybe that's the way they will then turn themselves toward me. See, God's strategy for bringing you to the place where you would say, I need help. I, I need to be delivered. I need a Savior. I can't do this anymore on my own. God's strategy for bringing you to that place is kindness, tolerance, patience. That's his strategy. Not threats. But he's so quiet. We just drive our car on fire and God says, you know your car's on fire, right? Yeah, I know it's on fire, but I want to drive it that way. God's going to say, okay. He will take no for an answer. That should scare us. He will take no for an answer. He'll take no for an answer and he'll say, you do what you want. You sleep with who you want, you drink what you want, lie all you want, run from me all you want. But the moment you come to the realization that, man, my life is burning down. My life is a mess. My relationships are all messed up. I'm physically sick from the way I live my life. What happened to me? When you come to that place with God where you have nothing to trade and you have nothing to barter and nothing to earn and you say, I need help. I don't need a second chance. I need saving. I need to be saved. And the help I need is in Jesus Christ. What, what makes us think that we can save ourselves? It blows my mind how people think we think we can save ourselves. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have things that you wish you could quit doing that you just can't seem to quit doing? How many of you have a habit that you would give anything to, to be able to not do that habit anymore, that it would just leave you alone? Let's play this game. Let's pretend. I'm, I'm, here's what I know. We all have something that we would really wish we could get past. What if I told you that I had a special gift or power, and I was going to come down here right down front, and to get rid of that habit, all you have to do is line up and shake my hand, and you'll never struggle with that habit again. Would you get in line? Yeah, you'd get in line. The line would be out the door. People wanting to, sh I would shake my own hand, okay? I'm going to ask you this question. My hand is up, okay? So I just, I'm just telling you right now, my hand is up. How many of you have a habit or something that you wish you could overcome? How many of you have a habit? Something you, you like, man, I wish I could just not. Okay, you can put your hand down. If you can save yourself, go ahead and stop yourself from doing that. We can't save ourselves from ourselves. What makes us think we can save ourselves from, from you know, the things that God wants to save us from? And I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to make this a big sermon on hellfire and brimstone, but I mean, there is that possibility. 
What makes us think we can do it ourselves? Some of you have anger issues. You can't save yourself from anger. How are you going to save yourself for eternity? You need a savior. Alcohol issues, tobacco issues, thought life stuff, morality stuff, money stuff, health stuff. There are things in this life I cannot save myself from. It's a daily reminder for me that I need a Savior. Now and for eternity. See, the moment you throw your hand up and say, I need a Savior, this is what God says. God says, I'll be there. I'll be there. All I need is for you to let me in. All I need is for you to say it's okay for me to open the door and pull you out. I'll be there. That's all I need is your permission. But I will take your no for an answer. Rick Warren is fond of saying, you don't need a Savior because you might die tonight. You need a Savior because you're going to be alive tomorrow. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. We've had bad things happen in our life, bad stuff, and it wasn't our fault. You did everything you could, and you still couldn't change it. To which I would say, exactly. See, that's why you need a Savior. You couldn't save it, but somehow people convince themselves that they don't need a Savior. Here's the question. If we can't save the little itty-bitty issues in our life, what makes us think we can save anything for eternity? How can we think we don't need a Savior? Here's here's why Christianity is so liberating. The relationship between saved and savior, between rescued and rescuer, between delivered and deliverer is powerful. See, when someone comes along and saves you from something, maybe somebody came along at just the right time and helped you maybe financially, maybe it was emotionally, maybe it was relationally. Maybe a doctor comes along and saves your life. Something happens inside you automatically. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are two things that happen to you. Number one, you have unfiltered emotion. You feel what you feel, and you can't change what you feel. You feel it. The second thing that happens is you have an unsolicited devotion. You would do anything for them. You would say to, you know, if somebody saved you from something or, you know, a doctor, you would say, look, here are all my numbers. Here's my cell phone number. If you ever need me, you call me. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'm in your debt for the rest of my life because you've saved my life. There's just this unsolicited devotion. Just name it and I'm there for you. That's different than, well, you know, I guess I ought to. That's the way a lot of Christians live their life. I really ought to. If you are a Christ follower and your whole approach to following Jesus is, well, I ought to, then you you have missed the message of Christmas. You have never come to grips with the reality that there is a Savior who is saying, I've saved you. And when that really sinks in, you're not going to go around saying, I ought to. Jesus says, look, I don't want you to think I ought to. I want you to look at me and go, man, I In light of what you've done for me, I want to. In light of what you've done for me, why would I not? It's different than I ought to. If there was somebody out there that kept you from getting hit by a bus, okay, they come move you, you're out standing, 
Brett, we need to move you out of the road. You're about to get hit by a bus. Oh, thank you very much. You would have unfiltered emotion and you would have unsolicited devotion. That's what happens when you've been saved. Listen to this word. We, we don't use this word a whole lot because it's hard for most of us to define, quite honestly. I need a drink in the worst way. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the second part of the verse. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Because when you have been saved, when you have been rescued or delivered, and suddenly you have memories of the one who saved you, there is a flood of joy. Think about somebody in your life that's really come through, been a savior for you. You have great joy when you think about that experience. There's just unsolicited devotion. It's not about I ought to. That's not how you look at them. Well, I ought to go see them. No, you want to go see them. You, you would say, of course, if they asked you to do something, you would say, of course I will. I it would be my honor to do that for you. After everything you've done for me, of course I will do that. You saved me. I've, I've used the expression before, Corey Ten Boom, not to argue with Corey Ten Boom, heavens to goodness, she is way more spiritual than I'll ever be, but Corey Ten Boom had a quote that I've quoted before, and it, I mean, it, it makes sense, when she said, I've learned to hold all things loosely in my hand because it hurts so much when God had to pry them out of my hand. And I always, you know, I always thought, well, that's kind of cool, but here's really the truth of the matter is, God will not grab things out of your hand. God will not rip things out of your hand. He waits for you to offer them. Maybe once in a while you're here. Maybe it happened to you this morning as we were singing, or you're, you know, you're next to somebody and you're singing and you, just, you think you're just singing songs and you look over at them and they got tears streaming down their face. And you're like, what? Or you, or you look over and they've got this uncontrollable smile on their face, right? They're beaming, grinning from ear to ear, and you're like, what is up? with you and you're thinking to yourself man what's going on with them sometimes there are words or phrases or songs or videos or you know who knows what and it brings back a memory or a realization and it starts to dawn on us man i have been saved i'm saved i mean god loves me so much he saved me I mean, there's times I'm singing songs and I start thinking about the fact that God has saved me. Me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that makes me feel good. And I'll just start smiling. Sometimes I'll cry when I'm singing. I just, I just am so thankful. David said this in the Psalms, you redeemed me from the pit. That resonate with anybody in the room? We remember our pit, don't we? We remember the pit that Jesus pulled us up out of. The message of Christmas is God sent a Savior. And he is Christ the Lord. The first step to embracing the message of Christmas is to acknowledge that I need a Savior. And that acknowledgement is in the form of his son Jesus to begin rescuing and saving and delivering and redeeming. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. If you were at the lake with your friends, 
and you were out swimming, splashing around in the lake, in the water, just having a ball, and all of a sudden you got water went down the wrong way, and it's really bothering you, and you realize, uh-oh, I'm starting to go down. Uh-oh, I can't breathe. Uh-oh, I'm, I'm about to drown. And you're out there splashing around. You know, here's what's not going to happen. You're not going to process for very long this idea, you know, I think I'm drowning. I wonder if I should call out to anybody or if I should just let myself go under the water. No, that's not the, that's not the conversation you're having with yourself. There is no conversation with yourself, right? You're screaming out, help me, save me, somebody, help, I can't swim, come get me, please help me. There are people and the circumstances that they find themselves in spiritually, that's really where they are. That might, that might describe you this morning. Spiritually, you're drowning and you know it. And you're having this conversation with yourself. I wonder if I should call out or if I should, you know, I don't know. Or should I say something to Jesus or not? You're going down for the third time and you really, really need to call out. If I just described you spiritually, you need to understand that God is willing to stay away from you if that's what you want. He's willing to stand on the side. God will take your no for an answer. That should petrify you. He's willing to wait for you to cry out and say, I need a Savior. Understand that the Christmas message is about a God who loved you so very much that he did not spare even his own son, but he sent him as a Savior for all of us. It doesn't mean, look, listen, if you're in here and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean that the other people that are in here who are Christians are better than you. We are not better than you. We don't perform better than you. We don't behave better than you. Sometimes we're rascals just like you are. What you need is to be forgiven. And that happened on the cross. That happened because Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, the once for all gift for all sin. And if you've never responded to that in your life, you are in peril. I am the man knocking on your window telling you, you need to get out of the car Jesus is right there. He's ready to help you. You need to get to him. I can't make you. His kindness leads us to repentance. In a minute, we're going to stand and sing. You'll have a chance to respond. Maybe, that, maybe it's too soon. Maybe that's not. you're not ready to do all that. But would you just come talk to me later? Would you call me this week? Could we get together and talk? Talk to the person who brought you. Somebody knows you, knows how to help you get to Jesus. You need a Savior. Let's pray together. God, for those of us in the room this morning who know all too well just how bad the pit was that you pulled us out of, we are so overwhelmed this morning. We are so thankful. You are so good to us. And Father, there are likely, there's likely somebody in the room this morning who who, who, who feels you calling them. They know, they know all this is right, and they know that they need to make a, a choice and a decision and respond. I pray that you would help them to see that it's not, they're not responding to a big old long list of rules that somebody wants to slap on them. What, what's being offered here is forgiveness for sin. Who doesn't want forgiveness of sin? And God, in that perfect gift, in that little baby Jesus, 
you sent the offering once for all for every sin ever committed. That is miraculous. That's hard to believe. That's over the top. That's awesome. Father, if there's anybody in here that's kind of struggling with that, I pray that you would speak directly to them. I pray that you would move in their heart, help them to see their need for you. That you are the Savior and we cannot do it by ourselves. God, in this moment, we worship you. We tell you we love you. And we tell you, Merry Christmas. It's in Jesus' name we pray.